0: Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at wwwrestorationlexcom slash this week. Well, I want to begin today with a story from one of the oldest surviving uh, communities in the world, oldest surviving Christian communities in the world, which is the uh, Coptic Christians in egypt there 's this story I heard a pastor tell that back in the, the 10th century um, the Caliph he made this decree that all of the Christian churches they were they were to be closed throughout the land and that church bells which were you know a much bigger thing back then because it drew people from around they were forbidden to ring and so this forced this faithful Christian Coptic community to uh, uh, to be you know, a, you know this is a, am I going to meet am I going to like t- say no Are we 're going to push back we didn 't really know what to do and so they had to make this very difficult decision some of them they moved and became you know monasteries and things out in the middle of the desert away but Most of them, because of these limitations of their lives and struggles, they were forced to stay in their home and worship on Sundays. And the story goes that after nine years, the callous was thinking about this. I wonder what happened to those Christians that I forced out of their churches, I shut them down. I'm going to go walk through the Christian neighborhood, through the streets on a Sunday and just see what's left. I'm sure they're entirely gone. But what he saw were prayers and songs and worship coming from every single home that he passed along the way. And as he walked through the neighborhood, he decided to make at that point a second decree. He says, open the churches and let them pray as they please. Because I thought I had closed the church in every street only to find out that I had opened a church in every single house. I love that story because I think it illustrates the radical nature of what it means for us to be the church, because we know that God does not belong to a denomination. He does not belong to the power brokers of this world. He doesn't belong to a building. He doesn't belong to a pulpit or a pastor. Jesus is building something that is far more subversive and beautiful and challenging in this world. And that's why we're doing this series, Why Church? Is because we're asking the question that more and more our neighbors are asking, which is why why do this why should we gather why should we have any sort of faith experience outside of our own personal experience i don't know if your friends and your neighbors are asking similar questions i know that over the years especially the past 5 years i've had countless countless conversations about why on earth would we still continue to do this thing called church. And what we found out last week as we began was talking about how Jesus didn't really talk that much about church. The word church only appears three times in two verses in the Gospels. The word kingdom, however, appears 119 times. Jesus' primary message was clearly, his mission was clearly the kingdom of God and this kingdom that was arriving in his life and his death and his resurrection on earth as it is in heaven. And so, wherever we gather around the reign and the mission of Jesus, that is a church. This is the church that Jesus is building. This is the church that Jesus says will not fail, even though the gates of hell come up against us, it will not fail. He is building a community around this mission of the kingdom of God. And what we learned last week, too, is that the church is then the outcome of the mission and not the mission itself. The church is not the point of church. It never has been. When we focus on the kingdom of God, we will always, always, always have the church. Even after his resurrection, after he is alive once again in Acts 1, Jesus is still teaching on the kingdom of God. It says in verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The resurrection was the inauguration of what Jesus was bringing, the kingdom that Jesus promised. This message and this mission of his church was about to move outward in this moment. He's saying, this is what is beginning to arrive in my resurrection. Later on, down in verse 8, it says, but you will receive power. And we're going to focus in on these verses today today. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right here, we have a twofold promise for us, the people of Jesus. We have the promise of God's Spirit, and we have the promise of God's mission out of that spirit. And that's really what we need to give our attention to today, is this the power of the kingdom and also the witness, the witness we're called to of the kingdom of God. First, it's not just a mission. We see a power has been given for the mission that Jesus has given in the Holy Spirit. This is how the kingdom of God is made manifest on earth as it is in heaven, through the power of the Holy Spirit within us, through through the presence of God in and among his people the holy spirit is the power and presence of the kingdom of god among us he is who is bringing in and among us the promise of jesus's mission the church then is not some sort of vague religious like world improvement campaign we're not just another nonprofit in the world that's trying to do good things even though that is Wonderful. No, we have a God who dwells within us and among us. God goes before us. This mission is not something we start and then add God later on when we feel like it. God goes before us. It's so important for us as believers, especially us, very activist-minded church like ours, is that we don't out-mission God. God goes before us in the mission. God is far more passionate about the mission that he's called us to than we are. We join God's work where he's already working in us, among us, in our neighborhoods. Our job then is to discern what God is actually doing. Church is what happens. That is what church is when we actually join God in what he is already doing among us. You will hear that over and over and over again because that for us is a theological foundation of what it means to be a church is that we don't bring God to people. We don't gather so God can show up. We don't do these things because there is an absence of God that somehow we activate together. No, that's a really sad way of understanding our faith. It's a very sad way of understanding the church. No, God is already on mission. God is already at work among us, through us, and our job as a community is together to discern, how is he at work in my life? How is he at work in your life? How is he at work in our church, in our neighborhood? And once we discern this together, join the God who is already on mission. Acts 2, at Pentecost, instead of the mission of Jesus ending with his ascension, we see it continuing, the acts of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, it could be called the continuation of the ministry of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Because up until this point, there was this dramatic difference here. In the Old Testament, we see this framework of the faith that's pretty clear in two ways. First, look at here on the screen. In the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit empowered just the select few. You know, the prophets, the, the priests, the kings, other leaders from time to time in order to accomplish God's purposes in the world. Second though, we see that God's presence it dwelt in a building, first in the tabernacle, this, this traveling tent in the desert, and then in the temple. later on, the presence of God was in a particular place, and that place was then the centerpiece for worship and communion with God. And third, their identity centered around the one nation, one nation of Israel, this one ethnic group as the people of God. They were Israel, God's chosen and beloved people. This was the mindset of the Old Testament, how it was before the kingdom of God and Jesus arrived. But when Jesus comes, the first thing he says in John 1, 14, he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling, his Dwelling among us. That word here in John 1.14 means tabernacled. It literally means that Jesus became the dwelling place of God among us. That's so cool. And in receiving the Holy Spirit then at Pentecost, the framework of our faith from what we once knew no longer is the same. 1 Corinthians tells us that don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. Again, it says that, do you not know that your bodies, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. And not only are we the temple, it gets even crazier from that point. We have, as a community, been made priests. 1 Peter 2, 5 says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then four verses later, it continues to build this identity for us. It says, but you, when he says you, he's saying us. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful Light. And what makes us the people of God then is something fundamentally different from what we knew before. The kingdom of God has moved us out of, to, of what we knew in the Old Testament into a New Testament, New Covenant, kingdom reality. Look at this on the screen. Instead of God dwelling in a building place, God dwells among his people. Instead of God empowering just the select few, the celebrities, empowers every believer for the ministry of the kingdom. And instead of our identity being wrapped up in one nation, we are now a people of every tribe and nation and tongue and people. And the kind of thing that keeps me up at night is the fact that a lot of times, and maybe I'm just me, maybe you haven't seen this before, but to me, honestly, when I think of the American church sometimes, it looks more like the left. It looks more like the left side of the screen. We empower, we see the Holy Spirit is empowering just the select few. You know, the the pastors up on high, the, the celebrity leaders, the people we look up to up there. And us common folk don't really get to do the stuff. Secondly, we become very building-centric. Everything is about what happens. Budgets, butts in the seats. That's what everything becomes about. Even though we, don't, we say in our theology that God doesn't dwell in a building, everything revolves around the buildings. And then third, especially over the last 10 years, we've become increasingly nationalistic. We've made America a stand-in idol for the kingdom of God. We are inexplicably sometimes an Old Testament church in a New Testament world. An Old Testament church in a kingdom that has arrived on earth as it is in heaven. But something has changed. Something has changed. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live on that side anymore. Because I believe the resurrection of Jesus has brought about in us this new Reality in the time of Jesus, you know, as you go to the temple to worship, it was also an exercise in in knowing your place. The temple was divided along the lines of gender, ethnicity, position, and power. You can see here on the screen a picture of the temple. I know you can't see the little bitty minute details here, but if you didn't know, there was, on the outside, the, the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Probably most of us here, non-Jews, I'm not, I know that's not everyone, but if you're not ethnically Jewish, you're on the outside looking in. As you move further in, there's the court of women, because women could not go as far as men within the temple. Furthermore, there's priests who were permitted closer to the altar and then the Holy of Holies, where only one priest could enter into the presence of God one time a year. There's always a line that could not be crossed, there's always a wall that could not be overcome. You could go and worship God, but you worship this God from a distance, far off, at an arm's length. And it makes me sad that sometimes, even though the New Testament, the new covenant, the kingdom of God has arrived, still we have these walls, we reinforce these walls. Because it's the people of God, it says that we are the temple. And because we have become the temple, the walls that have once... Divided us are no longer present among us. God dwells in and among his people, and not just some of his people, and not just in his people when they're in a building, and not just among the kind of people who are happen to be in the same country that you are. Joel 2 promises, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on your servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is a promise for the church, the temple. We, the temple, is not divided by gender or ethnicity or anything like that. We all have equal access to the power and to the presence of God. We are promised in this that even class and gender cannot divide us. We all have equal access to the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Amen? That's good news. That's not just sitting there news. That's good news. Amen. That's good. It's why in Galatians 3:28 Paul says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This isn't vague pleasantries. This isn't a kumbaya statement. This is revolutionary because it means that the dividing lines that were always present within the faith, are now falling down. We have equal access to the power and presence of God in and through his spirit in us. This is how we bear witness. With the church, when we actively dismantle these divisions, we bear witness to the kingdom of God. Not when we agree that they should be tore down, but when we together, as a faith community, decide we will be active in dismantling these divisions and building up a community of faith around the oneness of Jesus, not sameness, oneness. Jesus says we'll bear witness in Jerusalem and Judea. That's people who are like us. And in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These are people who are not only not like us, but are at times outright enemies. Now, Unless you live under a rock, you are being trained on a daily basis to know who your enemy is, to know who you are supposed to hate, to know who is on the other side, to know everything that they're doing wrong to destroy this world, this nation, the goodness of what God has done. You are being discipled. You and I are being discipled to divide. But when we are baptized in the faith, when we go under that water, what dies in us is those dividing lines of enemy making. What dies within us is the way we used to see people who are not like us, people who stand on the other side. What dies within us when we are under that water is our ability to demonize and categorize and divide because something new has been born Within a second, Corinthians 5 says that we used to look at people from a worldly point of view, to look at Jesus from a worldly point of view, but we no longer do that. First Corinthians 12, Paul writes that just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And This is also the reason why you see us around here empowering women for every area of leadership. It's because, women, you do not get diet Holy Spirit. You do not get a lesser form of the Holy Spirit. The the Spirit, Joel says, is poured out on his sons and who? His daughters. And so a healthy church, we believe, is where both men and women are empowered for for every work of the ministry. And if you look worldwide, the places where the church is thriving and growing and moving forward, places like South America and Asia and Africa, you see churches that are empowered and often led by... Women. Stanley Howell says that the church means that radical political alternative where Christians learn to live as people who refuse to let the politics of death determine our lives. We want more than anything to live in such a way that the world has no sociological, anthropological, gender-related, racial, economic explanation for us other than that we are a people who have been given what they prayed for, come Holy Spirit. There's another way the Spirit bears witness among us, and it's a way that I believe that we have a lot of room to grow in. Paul talks about the church as one body with many parts. He does so with this belief that every part, like we've talked about, not just the few, are empowered for the ministry of the kingdom. You see, when God, when the church is equipped and empowered. And every believer, when all of us feel that, we bear witness to the kingdom of God. We show the world what the kingdom is like when it's not a spiritual hierarchy, when it's not a caste system. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not authority in leadership and people who serve, but they serve like Jesus from the bottom up and not from the top down. Like the world, we don't lord it over, as Jesus says, like the world around us. We lead and serve and operate in these places from a place of service. But in that, we do that knowing that every believer, and not just the people who stand beyond this threshold right here, are empowered for the ministry. 1 Corinthians 12 later on says now, to each one, all of us, each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, meaning that God is the one who's giving these gifts for us. Every believer, all of us receive them, every single one, and they are given, it says, not for our benefit, But for the benefit of building up and loving others for the common good. I I sometimes hate the way we talk about spiritual gifts in the church because it's like like X-Men or Marvel powers or something. It's like I have prophecy and like it's not we're not talking about Captain Planet here y'all. We're talking about God gives the same spirit manifested in different ways, not for our sake, but for the sake of using those gifts to love and build up others. You are empowered to love. That's the only reason God gives gifts is to form you into the image of Jesus through these gifts. All of these gifts form in itself the mindset the life of Christ, and each one of us get to express that. I love, love, love this about the church. It's because I get to see parts of Jesus in you and your gifts that I don't get to see in me. And so I see more of who God is. I get to see more of who God is when you are operating in your gifts and not just me. And the same likewise. It's why I need your gifts and your empowerment and you need mine. And we all need one another in these giftings. Is because we get a fuller picture of who God is when we operate in the empowering of the Spirit together. And not just us select few who stand up here on these sort of platforms. And you may think, well, not everybody can use their gift on a Sunday morning. And you're right. And honestly, that's the point. This is an hour. And God did not give his gifts just to make one awesome service every Sunday. That's not the reason God has empowered his church just for one hour a week. If you look in the book of Acts, of the 40 miracles recorded in the book of Acts, 39 of them happen outside the walls of a church Or a worship service. The gifts that God has given, He has given us not for just a Sunday morning, not for just when we are gathered in these spaces. God has given these gifts for us all week long to embody together the gifts of the Spirit. One of the ways, the best ways I've seen spiritual gifts and the gifts of the Holy Spirit work in and around the church is in when we do community groups. People praying for and serving and seeing the gifts of people in community together is absolutely powerful. And I encourage you to come back next week as I share kind of a bigger picture of where we're moving towards community in the fall as a church. I'm excited to share about that. But we say this in that God has empowered you, equipped you for the gifts of his spirit for the sake of his body to love and to serve and show the world together. This is what Jesus looks like. And not just in a room like this. And our job as pastors and leaders of this church is to equip you for the ministry and not the other way around. A lot of times we've operated where you come and you put your dollar in the offering plate and you cheer on the highlight videos of what everyone else is doing while you just sit and then go home. And there's good stuff that happens in that. But we're at our healthiest when you are being equipped and empowered for the ministry. Paul says in Ephesians 4, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. These are just forms of leadership within the church. All these different shapes of leaders and they are to equip his people for the works of Service. It's our job to equip and bear witness to the kingdom of God among us and something we want to grow in as leaders and making sure you have the opportunity to see and experience the fullness of what God is doing in you, how the kingdom is being manifest in you. Sometimes we get that backwards, and it completely undermines the fullness of what God's church is called to be here's the outcome of what it says later on in Ephesians 4. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. As each part, as each part does It's work. What you see there is spiritual interdependence, meaning when you are growing, it benefits me. When I'm growing, it benefits you. When we live in and experience the growth, the fullness, the health of Christ, we all benefit together. We live in this spiritual interdependence of making this beautiful picture of what Jesus is in the church. So as we close today, we're moving into a time of communion together I want A couple of next steps I would encourage you to do. If you want to explore what l- using those gifts looks like, the first thing I would do, this is just sort of a secondary thing. You can go on your app and find this and click on um, volunteer. You can go to restorationlex.com slash serve. Find ways that maybe you can plug in your gifts here in the community, but that's not where I want to start. That's something I want to push you towards, but the, where we start with this is not the gifts. We actually start with the giver. We start with the one who gives these gifts. We start with the one who offers them to us. We don't start with what should we do. We start with who is the one who empowers us for these things. And so I want to close today in prayer for that and pray that God would empower our church, would awaken the gifts, or in some cases, reawaken the gifts that we have sometimes let lay dormant, that we have sometimes pushed to the side. And I want us to be open to that. I know sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit and receiving from him, we've had bad experiences before and there's cynicism around that. But I just want to encourage you today to be open. Your minds, your spirits, your bodies, be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to pour out in our church to build us up together. So Father, pour out your spirit on your people, your sons and daughters, just as you promised. God, I ask for... In our hearts, Lord, the, the, the silence of the enemy's lies, the healing of the wounds of the past, the questions that you would answer them, God. God, I know that we are at our fullest, our best as a community when it's not just the few, and so, Lord, awaken for those even watching at home, for those aren't, who aren't with us today, traveling or somewhere else. All of us, the, the people you have formed as restoration, would you pour out your spirit, pour out your gifts. We eagerly desire these gifts in and among us. And whatever that way looks, God, you, you are sovereign over these gifts. You're sovereign over your church. You're building us. And so build us in this by your spirit for the sake of your kingdom among us.